Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Good morning. It's good to see you all. Well, a funny thing happened on my way back from Leavenworth the other day, Friday. Got a text, Robin, I'm not feeling well. Could you pinch it for me? Could you speak? And so I said, absolutely. Oh, God, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Seriously. All the way up till midnight last night. No, it's good to be with you here. We will pray for Pastor Barry. He's not feeling well, but he's on the rebound. Uh, he's getting better, so that's great. Um, Barb did let me know that they need seven more pies for the picnic. And so some of you have a secret recipe somewhere that you can pull out and give that a shot. It may be a lemon meringue pie, one of those that just makes your taste buds, you know, start watering as you're getting it dished up. So go for that one. Or if you have to stop by Sherry's on your way down and buy one and bring it down and put your name on it, we won't tell anybody. So you can do that as well, okay? So let's do that. Um, Just before we, we start this Morning, we have two saints who are family at North Sound Church that we're going to pray for, and that is Joanne Schradel. And this week, we were told that Barbara Wilkinson will be put on hospice as well. Okay, so we'll pray for both of them, and they're both super excited to see Jesus. They are anticipating a warm welcome um, and, and a celebration. In Psalm 116, verse 15, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So let's pray for them. You know, as they get ready to to see Jesus, uh, I was thinking about what is promised to us when, when we come. And in Revelation, when you read the letters to the churches in the first couple of chapters, Revelation, it says, Those who overcome, they will walk with me dressed in white. For they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. And there's other promises, too, that we read about in those letters. It says, those who overcome or who are victorious or who surrender and commit their lives to Jesus will receive a crown of life. Also says they will not taste the second death, those who overcome. It says that they will... They will receive manna that has been hidden in heaven. Isn't that cool? To taste that manna. Also says that they will, we will receive a white stone with your own special name etched on it that nobody knows but him and you. Also says authority to rule the nations. Jesus actually says in that passage, they will have the same authority I receive from my father, And I will also give them the morning star. And to everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Isn't it? Isn't it amazing? And as we read the scripture in chapter two of Genesis, the tree of life is there. And then in the last chapter of Revelation, the tree of life is there. And in bookended is the story of all of us of reconciliation and relationship with God. But let's pray for these two saints and their families. Father, we come before you and we we lift them up, Joanne Schradel and Barbara Wilkinson, 
in, their, in this season, in this time. And we thank you that they love you, that they've surrendered their lives to you, and they're anticipating being with you. What an example they are setting for all of us. But we do pray for them and their families in this time that your grace would, would be with them and that your presence and your peace would surround them in a very tangible way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever enjoyed just walking into a park or walking down the streets of Edmonds and seeing people walking their dogs? And have you ever noticed sometimes how uncanny the resemblance can be between the dog and their master? Well, even this morning as I was parking my car, just coming into Edmonds, at right, right down there, there was a man and a woman walking their their dog, but they were actually had a baby carriage and the dog was sitting inside the baby carriage. I thought that is amazing. That is just <laughs> special and precious or something crazy <laughs> is what it was. But I have some pictures of some animals, uh, some dogs who look like their, their owners. Take a look at some of these and maybe we should have a special bring your dog to church day. Uh, take a look at this one coming up here as well. <laughs> Just what a great resemblance. And, and here, <laughs> which came first, the uh, perm on the lady or, or the poodle? I'm not sure here. And then, very good. It'd be fun to see some of you with your pets and just to see what the resemblance might be. <laughs> that is so good, so good. Is there a difference? I don't know. They look the same there. <laughs> Very good. And then just a couple of more here. That is perfect, isn't it? Isn't that something else? Uh, there you go. That's just, that's the classic. And then, of course, <laughs> Very good. Well, I wonder what it was like for Adam and Eve to be in the garden. After Adam names all of the animals in chapter 2, it says God brought the animals and Adam named them all. And then at the very end of chapter 2, God created Eve. We read that. And then from that last verse till chapter 3, verse 1, we don't really know the length of time between these chapters. The Bible just doesn't say. But you know, some theologians have taken a look at this chapter right in between the end of chapter 2 and chapter 3, and they think that's when God created dogs. So take a look at this. So that God created dogs specifically to demonstrate, because they're like, God, you're not always walking with us in the garden. We, we, we need some sort of reminder. And so God created a dog, and, and the dog demonstrated incredible loyalty and unconditional love. The tail would wag whenever they saw them, acceptance and happiness. But after a while, with all the attention that they were receiving from the dog, Adam and Eve started to become prideful, thinking that they were the center of the universe. So an angel came up to God and said, God, I think we have a problem here. Um, Adam and Eve are getting a little, a little arrogant, and so God made a cat. <laughs> a 
And immediately, Adam and Eve learned about humility and that they were not the supreme beings and what it was like to not be obeyed. But truly, we don't know what happened in between chapter 2 and chapter 3. And, uh, but it must have been amazing walking with God in the garden. Intimacy with the Almighty in the garden. I remember growing up, there was a hymn that we would sing in our, in our church. And it was a, a song that was about walking with God in a garden. And it was a song that was written in 1916 by a, a pharmacist who turned into a hymn writer. His name was C. Austin Miles. And he, this song was actually used in an evangelistic crusade with Billy Sunday, who was a professional baseball player turned evangelist. Also, you may remember Elvis singing this song as well. And you may remember the words, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other. Uh, that was a pause for emphasis, okay? <laughs> none other is ever known. This is how the, the hymn was written. It says, he says, he describes it this way. In March of 1912, I was seated in a dark room where I kept my organ and my equipment, and I grabbed my Bible and I held it, and I opened it up to John chapter 20. And John chapter 20 is the story of the resurrection. And you remember the scene. And he says, as I read it that day, I seemed to be part of it. My hands were resting on the Bible. And as I stared at the light blue wall, all of a sudden it just faded. And I saw before me a path as it led into the garden. And, and while I was experiencing this, he goes on to describe Mary coming to the tomb and seeing the gardener and, and John and Peter running in and looking and saying he has risen. And he says, I awoke in full light, gripping my Bible. My hands were trembling and my muscles tense. My nerves were vibrating. Under the inspiration of this vision, I wrote the very words that are still being sung. And that same evening, I wrote the music. He describes in this vision, in this poem that became a hymn, a great longing to be close to Jesus. And it's a longing that most people have. It's because we were made for this relationship with God. We were made to walk with him in the garden. Augustine said it this way, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Think about that. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. The Bible is full of wonderful verses and, and promises that are all wrapped up and they're like gems uh, in the field to go pick up, which remind us how God really is passionate to walk with you. And I wonder sometimes how often we forget 
how much he really loves us. Over the years when we've done Alpha, we've done what's called the Holy Spirit Weekend, which is giving us just time and space to be with him and to learn to listen to him and abide. Well, during this weekend, often we would play a a video called A Letter from God or A Father's Love Letter. And during this time of, of playing this song and experiencing the words wash over us, I remember some of us, you know, wiping uh, a tear or two from our eyes because we remembered and were once again overwhelmed with his love. So this morning, I want to share that short video with you. And as the music plays and you hear the words of God written in the Bible, would you receive them? this morning and experience for yourself how much he loves you. Let's watch this together. The words you are about to experience are true. They will change your life if you let them. For they come from the very heart of God. He loves you. And he is the father you have been looking for all your life. This is his love letter to you. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs on your head are numbered. For you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being. For you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake. For all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but am the complete expression of love. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you, simply because you are my child and I am your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand. I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts toward you are countless as the sand on the seashore and I rejoice over you with singing. I will never stop doing good to you. You are my treasured possession. 
I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul. And I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. For it is I who gave you those desires. I am able to do more for you than you could possibly imagine. For I am your greatest encourager. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. One day, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your Father, and I love you even as I love my Son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I love that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me and nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father, and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I am waiting for you. Love, your dad, almighty God. And some of us just needed those words and to grab the hand of Father and go for a little walk in the garden in these moments. For those who receive him, he gave the right to be called children of God, Scripture says. When we walk with the Lord, we draw closer to him. He becomes our focus. Our hearts long for him. Our hearts seek his presence. We want to be with him. Our desire is to have fellowship with him and, and to become like him while we grow. And our worldly desires begin to decrease. That's what happens when we walk with him in the garden. But walking with him is intentional. And a good question for us this morning that we could ask ourselves is, how is my walk doing? It's another way of saying, how am I doing in my discipleship? Or am I looking more like Jesus? Dallas Willard describes in the book, The Divine Conspiracy, that many believers have little idea of what discipleship actually is and what it looks like. And he says it this way, the consumer Christian, not any of you, is one who utilizes the grace of God for forgiveness and the services that the church provides. 
or for special occasions, but does not give his or her life and innermost thoughts, feelings, and intentions over to the kingdom of heaven. Such Christians are not inwardly transformed and not even committed to it. Because this is so, they remain not just imperfect, for all of us are imperfect in becoming more like him, but routinely and seriously unable and are unwilling to do the good they know to do. As Paul accurately describes, they remain governed by or slaves of sin. For example, their lives are dominated by fear and greed, impatience, egotism, bodily desires, and the like. And they continue to make provision for them. It is this condition that the curriculum for Christ's likeness must aim to abolish. You ever wonder with me why the church in America isn't growing? Perhaps this is the root cause. Dallas Willard put together a picture of what he calls the golden triangle of spiritual growth. And I want to share that with you this morning. And this is just a tool to help us walk into a closer relationship with him. Now, the inner part of the circle there, that's the goal. That's Christ-likeness. Or having the mind of Christ. Paul writes it this way. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 12 of Philippians 2, he says, dear friends, you always followed my instruction when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard, to show the results of your salvation, obey God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So that's our goal, Christ-likeness. In Romans 13, 14, and you can put this part up there, John, it says, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus. Just put them on. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desire. So that's the goal. Christ-likeness, or to be centered in the mind of Christ. Now, aren't you glad that we have help? We have help, and the help is the role of the Holy Spirit. And that's what is at the top of that, the action of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to do this on our own. And the Holy Spirit is, the, is at the very top to represent his important role in this entire process. So here's some verses that are written for you. John 3, 5 says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we absolutely need the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In fact, after the first service, we were praying, I was praying with someone and they said, we have this Individual that's very important to our lives. He grew up in the church. He knows all the answers, but he is just laying it aside. And as we prayed together and we talked, we really came to the conclusion that so many in the church, and specifically the younger generation, have not experienced the reality of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They know the music. They know the songs, which I think have often replaced the Holy Spirit because we can do it for them, but they haven't experienced the reality themselves. 
which we read about in the book of Acts. Romans 8, verse 10 to 11 says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead is alive in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through a spirit who dwells in you. Aren't you glad that we have help in this process here? And then, of course, Galatians 5, 22 to 26, condensed, it says, if we live by the Spirit, then let's walk in the Spirit. The third part, or the second part down below to the left, which helps us in our Christ-centeredness, is actually the ordinary events of life. which are specially planned for our transformation. It's the difficult things as well as the good things. Remember what James says? Here it is here. Count it all joy when you go through various difficulties or trials because it's a testing of your faith and it's going to have a great outcome if you let it. It'll produce steadfastness and let steadfastness endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope uh, doesn't put us to shame because God poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit at the top working through these difficulties who has been given to us and then finally on the right It's planned discipleship. It's those intentional things that we do on a daily basis to help us be more like Jesus. Dallas Willard says it this way, we do not just hear what Jesus said to do and try to do that. Rather, we also notice what he did, and we do that too. We notice, for example, that he spent time in solitude, and silence. Hey, where's Jesus? Man, he's got a whole crowd of people. He's supposed to feed them. He's supposed to cast out demons. What, where, what's taking him so long? Well, he, he said back a couple of days ago that he's got to spend time with his father because he's only going to do the things that his father tells him to do. Well, isn't that a good model for all of us? Why do we try and do everything on our own strength and at the end of the day, at the end of the day say, Hey, thank you, Lord. Or I have these needs. Instead of doing it the other way around. Father, as I enter into this day, lead me by your Holy Spirit. Help me to do the things that you want me to do and nothing else. We note, he continues, what a thorough student of Scripture Jesus was, and we follow him, the living word, into the depths of the written word. We notice how he used worship and prayer and how he served those around him. And that's what we do. Those are the things on the lower right side of the triangle, planned disciplines to put on a new heart. The women's Bible study is going to start.
supplement or add to your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and with moral excellence, knowledge and with knowledge, self-control, with self-control, patience, endurance and with patient endurance, godliness and with godliness. Everyone, the more you grow like this, those planned discipleship or disciplines, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus. So what are the implications of doing this? Not only do you and I get to hold his hand and walk in the garden on a more consistent basis, but the world around us takes notice. They see that relationship with God is authentic and tangible and it's attractive. Now, I know that we live in, a, in an area where we think people are resistant to the good news of how much God loves them. But globally, I want to share with you what's actually going on. In a recent study of the 2022 status of global Christianity report that came out from the Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, they share these uh, these results from their study. Let me share them with you. Number one, religious, or whichever the first one is, religious faith is growing. There are fewer atheists around the world today than in 1970. That's astounding. Partly because I think of the, the church movement that's going in China in the last few decades, where the church is just erupting. People are coming to Jesus course an atheist nation they tried to remove god but god shows up anyway and people are responding to jesus in china in tremendous ways there are fewer atheists today than in 1970 and i think there's other reasons i think more and more archaeology is proving who jesus is the personal experience that you share the testimony there's things like intelligent design and other things that are saying what there's there's more to this than just chaos and disorder maybe there is a god the second one that we have up there is christianity continues to grow not only is Religion growing overall or uh, an awareness that there's more, but Christianity is growing. Almost 2.56 billion people identify as Christian today, but that number in the next 25 years is expected to top 3.33 billion. The church is growing. Thirdly here, that it's growing fastest in the global south. Where is it growing the fastest? It's growing the fastest in Africa and Asia. In the year 2000, 814 million Christians lived in Europe and North America. Okay? Europe and North America, 814 million Christians. In Africa and Asia, 660 million Christians. Okay, a little bit of a difference there. This year, 838 million live in the global north, while 1.1 billion live in Africa and Asia alone. It's growing. It's growing. 
The next one, Christianity continues to spread out. As Christianity continues to grow in the global south, it's becoming less concentrated. The missions movement, Filipinos who are Christian are going into Muslim nations working as housekeepers because they can. We can't send missionaries into some of these nations, but they're going out and they're sharing their story and their faith. I just heard a story today between services. A, an individual came up to me and said, my son has been living in the Middle East. And in the country where he's, he's now at, in the Philippines and in, in Manila, he teaches at, at a Christian university. And w- one day, very recently, he says he walked into a shop and there was a, a Muslim woman dressed up. And the, the shop was uh, didn't have any customers in there. And so she said to him, well, you don't look uh, like you're from around here. You're 6'4", and uh, you're kind of out of place in your skin tone. And he goes, well, I teach in the, the Christian college here. And she says, I'm a Christian too. It says, okay. And so they got to tell the story a little bit. And uh, she says, five years ago, I had a dream. And in my dream, I saw this man step out of the water in white. And these words, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And that was it. Five years later, she said, a missionary from Korea came and gave me the Jesus film. And I watched it. And in that movie, I saw that very scene with a man coming out of the water. This is my beloved son. And I became a follower of Jesus. Global Christianity is spreading out and Jesus is showing himself. Number five, the percentage of non-Christians who know a Christian is climbing. Take a look at this. And this is so very important because we know here in America, especially, we may not be having the dreams and visions like our friends overseas are at. But here it's known that before someone becomes a fault, trusts in Jesus Christ, they must first trust a follower of Jesus Christ. In 1900, only 5.4% of non-Christians could identify a Christian they knew, primarily because China, because of India and Hinduism, and they, they hadn't received gospel. And still, India is one of the most unreached people groups in the world, but more and more communities are receiving church plants like our friends in India. We're helping them. We, North Sound Church, are helping them plant 1,000 churches in the next few years. These are villages who have never had a gospel witness before are now going to have a church. And what happens when there's a church? Someone who doesn't know Jesus will eventually meet someone who is a follower of Jesus. They'll be prayed for. Healings will happen. Demons will be cast out. And whole families come to faith. Today, that percentage of 5.4 has risen to 18.3%. And in the next 20 or so years, one in five non-Christians will know a follower of Jesus and have the opportunity to hear the gospel. I think we need to raise that. And then finally... More than 90 million Bibles will be printed this year. 
As Christianity continues to grow, the printing of the Bible continues to grow along with it. This year, 93 million copies of God's word will be printed, and that's up from 54 million, you can see. Currently, there are 1.8 billion Bibles in circulation in the world. And that number will climb in the next 20 years to 2.3 billion. God's word going out like that Jesus film is tangible for people to open up. You've heard stories of the Gideon Bibles in hotels and what that's done for many people coming to faith. That's wonderful news. As the worship team comes and we're going to get ready to close, I want to remind you of those that golden triangle again. And if there's any takeaway from today, remember that he wants to walk with you in the garden and for us to have that goal of Christ-centeredness or becoming like Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the, the, the events of the day to test. And of course, we have spiritual practices. Would you pray with me that we would be again surrendered to grab his hand and walk with him. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for for the story of Genesis that we've read, how you walk walk with us, how we are made in your image to reflect you, and yet the we know that in order to reflect you well, we need to be close with you. And so, Father, I pray that you would allow the Holy Spirit to invade our hearts again that we would listen to you as you desire to renew our mind and for you to be our conscience again. Would you help us to remember that circumstances that we're going to face today, they're just a test. We know that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's, it's a spiritual battle. And recognize that you desire for us to lean in on you and allow you to work on our behalf. And finally, we commit ourselves again to spiritual practices, silence, solitude, memorizing your word, reading your word, fasting, serving, to help us set our mind on you and not on the things of the earth. We love you. Thank you that you desire a relationship with us. And we grab a hold of your hand to take a walk. In Jesus' name, amen.